Okay, perfect. Yeah, let's let's hop in. Let's have some fun. Hello and welcome to another episode. My name is Brian, host of The Plant Podcast. The Plant is brought to you by Thin Manager Software, the global leader in thin client management and mobility solutions. Thin Manager is a Rockwell automation technology. In this episode of The Plant, we are joined by David Jakobovich. David is a principal data scientist at Galvanize. He also partners with engagement managers and account executives for the corporate arm of the business, Galvanize Enterprise. David has knowledge, experience, and unique insight on the growth industry of artificial intelligence. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Brian Harned, and I'm very excited that today we are joined by David Jakobovich from the Humane Podcast. If you are a fan of podcasts, you should be listening to Humane. David interviews and talks with top thought leaders in the field of artificial intelligence, what issues they face today, and the industry as a whole. The show focuses on bridging the gap between humans and machines. We're very pleased to steal a few minutes of his time so we can talk factory automation, artificial intelligence and production, and some thoughts of what the future can bring for both. David, thank you so much for joining me today on The Plant and agreeing to share your thoughts and insights on AI and how much it impacts uh, and basically how it impacts factory automation. I want to take a minute and, and tell you how much I've been enjoying your podcast. And for all of our listeners, I encourage you to take some time and, and check out David's podcast, The Humane Podcast, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, to, to get started, David, how did you get started into doing the Humane Podcast? Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, for me, the Humane Podcast came about as an idea about a year and a half ago. Uh, you know, I've seen how my my dad, who's an entrepreneur, who's worked in robotics and repairing schematics for devices in electronic engineering, uh, decided to retire early as a result of how quickly the industry is evolving. Uh, with parts and with processes. And I think one of the biggest challenges I've seen is a lot of companies have not been thinking about humans and how humans should be a part of the picture. And that's really what inspired me to launch the Humane Podcast, to think about human-centered design, the future of work, the future of automation, how we can have augmented jobs where humans are working hand-in-hand with AI, with robots, and making a better future for everyone. So it's been about uh, eight months on the air now. I uh, had a lot of great thought leaders. And you know, as we were discussing before the recording today, you know, you and I share some mutual connections with uh, one of the guys I interviewed, John Spence. So it's so great to see how the technology world is cross-pollinating and, and having these conversations, which are so important to have for the future of work. Yeah, my, my last episode, I talked with Gary Menchel uh, who's been in automation for a long time. And it was the same thing, a lot of similar contacts, crossing paths. And I think as, as big as the industry is, you still find the same, yeah, a lot of the same people that everybody knows and everybody talks to. And a lot of times it is those, those thought leaders who are out there willing to talk about some of this stuff. So w- when you talk about artificial intelligence in general, you know, a lot of people just think of robots. And I think a lot of people are kind of scared 
of artificial intelligence and and kind of it's it's been broadly talked about AI. Microsoft's talking about it. They're doing commercials, but you know, machine learning and AI is is really about data science. It's about the data that's that's out on the Internet of Things and and what we can do with that data, what companies and consumers are doing with it. What do you find when talking to the industry experts and, the, and your thought leaders, as well as, as your everyday people, what do you think's the biggest challenge when bridging that gap about what AI is and, and what it can do and how people perceive it? You know, in uh, June, uh, I had the opportunity to be on a panel for natural language processing and AI in New York City. Uh, we were actually at the headquarters of Moody Analytics, and I had the opportunity to interview Catherine Hervarsi. Now, Catherine Hervarsi is the founder of ConceptNet, which is natural language processing and how phrases can be interpreted. And she's worked on this with MIT Media Lab for the last 20 years. So when we see topics like NLP and AI and thinking that's brand new, it's been around since 2012, I say not so fast. This has been around since the 80s. And when we got speaking about concepts, the big thing that um, fires up Catherine is one of the core concepts at MIT. And she says, for MIT to take a concept and to bring it to life, you need to get a demo, right, to show that you can actually do the project uh -huh. and then implement it. And, you know, we almost have this theme, she was saying, demo or die, right? Like, you need to get the demo. And that's the same in the startup world, creating demos for projects um, so that you can raise money and you can take proof of concepts to the masses. However, there's a big challenge there because often when you see these demos, if you're a consumer, you start thinking, wow, Skynet's here. The robots are taking over. <laughs> Our jobs are being replaced. And the classic example is Boston Dynamics. So this is a robotic company, you know, which Google has a stake in. And it, it's a robotic company that uses AI. Um, they came out with two incredible demos this year, which very much could be real. One is their Spot Mini robot. They took eight of these robots and attached them to an 18-wheeler truck and had these eight robots pull it as if they were Iron Man or Strongest Men pulling the truck um, autonomously without any humans. Secondly, just in June, they came out with another um, version of one of their standing robots, which uses these computer vision sensors to catch a box. So if you were to take an Amazon package and throw it at the robot, it would catch it in time. Not only that, if you were to blow an air horn at the robot, it would be able to, you know, recalibrate its sensors and, and stand. Um, but, you know, to play and be fun, um, of course, Boston Dynamics at the end of the video had the robot kick one of the guys and punch the other guy. And, <laughs> you know, it's a funny video, but it, it does beg the question, where are we with robotic technology and how soon will it be a threat to humanity and will it be replacing our jobs? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's what a lot of people think about, especially somebody who has maybe a, a lower level position or they are factory workers, you know, am, am I, are my days numbered? Am I just going to get replaced? Um, you know, and I think AI in general is being thrown around. Like I said earlier, you know, Microsoft's doing these commercials talking about AI without a whole lot of explanation of what that is. And somebody who knows a little bit more knows about Watson, 
knows about, you know, kind of uh, being able to just gather data and what that means. But I think a lot of people are, are weary of AI and, and where it's leading, you know, and, and for us, we, we really see, you know, two types of automation uh, when people talk about fact- factory automation. There's the kind of that thin manager and that we deal with mostly, which is automating repetitive you know, production processes like bottle capping, filling, uh, tightening, things like that, um, really automation in, the, in a production space. But I think what people want to talk about is you know, automation of services. There seems to be almost an inevitable push for that, like we were just talking about. Um, you know, where, um, where, I, I guess, where do you think it's going? Do, do, are these jobs at risk? And, and what can people do, I guess, to uh, get in front of it? You know, it's so interesting when we think about the automation of jobs and where this is moving within the industry. Um, a similar industry I want to give a parallel to is the financial industry. And uh, just now at the beginning of July, Oxford said that over 8,000 financial analysts are now um, actually doing retraining online with Oxford. And so what they're doing is saying, we're not going to wait for our jobs to be replaced. We're going to start studying today Python and these programming languages. So on one part, you do see that validation. Um, you know, I think the second part from the companies that you just mentioned, like Microsoft and IBM Watson, I did have the opportunity to speak to some of Microsoft's AI leaders, one who used to be on the Alexa team with conversational AI. And um, I think what we're starting to see in 2019 is the merging of systems. Systems are starting to create a unified system in conversational AI and text and voice. Uh, a universal bot is being created right now between Alexa and Cortana and Bixby uh, and Siri. Um, but on the other end, we see cloud platforms like IBM Watson that you mentioned, which um, just at the end of June announced that IBM is completely splitting off the Watson division from IBM as a company. So they've, um, it's something with the brand, it's something with the AI. Um, you could think of it as a parallel similar to Amazon and AWS, right? AWS is a completely separate business from Amazon, should they even be the same company. So it'll be interesting to see where Ginny, uh, the CEO of IBM, does take that. Um, but, you know, all this begs the question, which um, you just mentioned, is where do I see the future? And, um, you know, in 2019, um, one other thought leader, I'll call out Matt Turk, he's with First Mark Capital, uh, their major venture capital firm in New York. And we talk about the future of AI and startups and the industry. And um, he coined 2019 the turbulent year of AI. And you might think, why is it a turbulent year? There's so much investment, there's so much automation in all industries. But the big issue has been is that over 80% of companies are being called, we're an AI first company. We are a product with AI. But in fact, it couldn't be farther than the truth. Less than a third of those companies have any AI in production today. And the funding in AI companies is beginning to dry up in certain regards, um, quite similar to the big data hype that we started to see between 2012 and 2015. Now, yes, there, there's a lot of AI. We have, um, as you mentioned, you know, no longer is it just bottle capping, filling, and tightening, but now we have these um, AI systems that can see as the bottles are moving across the conveyor belt. And if there's a crack, 
um, or a discoloration in the bottle, it could push it into another bin so that that bottle does not actually make it to the consumer. Um, so computer vision is beginning to be seen. Uh, and I think uh, we're going to continue to see more implementation of AI services. But I would say it's not all you know, automation taking jobs. I think it's going to be a slower process uh, than we anticipate. Yeah, I think some of that stuff can really improve um, current automation too. I mean, you know, being able to, I guess, see problems arise before they actually happen. You know, you see a belt loosening, you see things, uh, you know, bottles with cracks, things that could, I guess, uh, you know, could show a bigger problem coming and being able to do something about it before it happens. It's just like an early indicator of being able to, I guess, strengthen your production facility, you know, even further using AI and some of some of the technology that's there. You know, the two biggest subfields of AI that we're seeing progress is one, natural language processing. Like the work that Catherine Havarsi has done has now spawned all these new companies with text and text analysis. And that's mostly around customer experience and voice calls and how to create a better experience with websites and users. But I don't think that's the use case that's most um, interesting for your audience. I think what's most interesting is the second subfield of AI that's been exploding in popularity, which is computer vision. So computer vision means we're taking algorithms and we're seeing pictures, we're seeing videos, and we're able to real-time analyze this data and then take the insight to make a decision. The decision could be taking a FANUC robot, like the ones that build cars, paint cars, um, tear apart um, damaged inventory, and instead completely do more complex tasks. From a consumer perspective, one of the companies already doing this is called CafeX. So CafeX is in Silicon Valley, and what they're doing is they're disrupting Starbucks. Uh, instead of just you know getting your cup of coffee from your local barista and engaging with a human, instead you get to see this Fanuc robot um, actually press the button. Um, get the coffee grinded, it grabs the cup, it puts the cup in place, it grabs a lid, it puts the lid on top, it pours in the milk. All this is being done in 2019, these complex tasks. There's another company similar doing this with burgers, actually flipping the burgers, using computer vision to see the meat while it's on the stove, to recognize when the meat has changed to a certain color wavelength, which means well done to then prepare the burgers. So I think the automation's happening. And when we translate this back to the factory, um, there's all types of workers in the mid-level management um, and the blue collar worker who's day by day working with devices where there is the possibility to disrupt. And that key disruption is the routine repetitive task. So we see in right. um, Amazon warehouses today, um, there's very few humans anymore. It's all done by computer vision, FANUC robots that push boxes into certain areas. There are now these floor robots that can move entire uh, boxes of many levels high uh, into the right directions uh, and faster than what humans would do with algorithms that navigate the appropriate paths to prevent any collisions. So it's it's pretty amazing how far we've come in just a few years. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that is amazing. It it kind of leads me into my next question is really, you know, most of our listeners that at least that we know our listeners are uh, our system integrators are in the manufacturing industry, uh, working with production companies, and they, they really are the ones putting in the automation systems, even if it's just visualization solutions in place that serve up you know, human machine interfaces so people can see what's going on within the production space. Um, you know, when it comes to educating yourself on what's happening in AI, what is happening really with technology and uh, how it could be impacting their customers, what do you usually recommend somebody does or where do they go to, to learn about this stuff so they can kind of, you know, get ahead of it, take advantage of it and know that it's something that may be an option for their customers. Sure. Well, of course, I would plug my own podcast, Humane Podcast, but we already talked about that earlier. So, um, you know, I read a lot in this space and I think knowledge is so essential to see where trends are moving. And um, two of my favorite people um, who work um, diligently in this space, one is Matt Turk. So we'll We'll share his information in the show notes later with um, that turbulent year of AI. And he calls out hundreds of companies doing phenomenal things in the space and all the sub industries. So that's really great to start seeing what are the trends and what trends should I be aware of that could disrupt. Um, I will say that one of the biggest call outs on his 2019 report is we're moving to a space in data science and AI where we're modularizing products. So this is something in software um, that these automation engineers and, and visualization managers have seen for years where no longer do you build servers from scratch and you um, code in bash and shell scripts everything you want to do, but instead infrastructure has become code. Uh, in the last five years, some engineers may know there's software like Packer and Ansible and Terraform and all these other softwares from uh, HashiCorp and, and other companies that um, help you automate and modularize the processes. I think we're moving in that same direction with AI and data science, and we're going to see that over the next couple of years, where now there's these platforms that help you integrate these AI technologies um, into your current services. And so Matt talks about some of that. Um, you know, but if you want to take a deep dive into everything going into technology um, automation, and this might be really relevant both for your listeners and yourselves. Um, so I, in 2018, was one of the teaching fellows for uh, the Future Today Institute in New York City. And the Future Today Institute is an effort from Amy Webb, uh, who is also a professor at NYU. And she has her new book out called The Big Nine, which is talking about the disruptors of um, the G-Mafia companies in the United States and the BAT companies in Asia Pacific. And every year she comes out with her trend report for technology. And this year's report was over 340 pages. So you say, wow, so many trends. And what's most amazing is of those 340, over 40 were centered just on AI and machine learning. So all these subfields that are becoming relevant uh, for companies today in 2019. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the future, I guess there's so much stuff on the horizon that it's exciting. Um, and, and I think, you know, the next, well, what do you think, like five or 10 years is going to be 
just astronomical as far as what we see with the progress of, of some of these technologies. I think it's changing so quick. You know, we look at Siri uh, for your, your Apple devices back in 2012, and it couldn't even understand languages. And, you know, just the other day, my father, who has, has a thick accent, you know, from not living in the United States for the first half of his, his entire life, um, said, now Siri's understanding me. They just had a major upgrade, now reads back the text to me. I'm able to make corrections. We've seen the same thing with chatbots. Those chatbots came out in about 2015. They were really challenging, um, but now they're working quite good. And I think um, one of the subfields that um, Amy Webb calls out in her report that I think is the result of this is continuous learning. These systems are continuously updating, continuously learning. What used to be a Siri voice update that would come out once a year, now once a month there's updates coming out. So it's so quickly updating. Um, all of our apps, whether it's on your computers or your AR, VR devices or your mobile devices, we usually set, you know, automatically update the apps. So you don't even know, right? They're, they're running cron jobs at three in the morning, automatically updating your software. And the next day you're like, oh, wow, this is super cool. So you're right, so much is happening. And I think uh, mostly for manufacturing and industry, um, some of the biggest um, changes that we're gonna see in the next five years is real-time context in machine learning, where you're gonna get real-time updates. So I mentioned earlier about the conveyor belt and the bottle that's cracked. You know, Should you have to wait till it's already in the six-pack case to do Six Sigma verification um, versus you can catch it at the source of error? That's uh, super important. Um, another interesting field that uh, some people will argue strongly with me that it may not be the right answer is synthetic data. So the growth of synthetic data uh, for analysis because creating real data is just so challenging. Um, I think that's going to be a big um, subfield that we're going to see evolving as well. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, so, all right, before I let you go, um, you know, listening to the Humane podcast and, and I've now pretty much caught up on most of them. Um, you know, you talk a lot about this being the fourth industrial revolution and, um, you know, technology growing amazingly fast. Many of your, your episodes, at least a few talk about Moore's law, which is, is the observation that, the number of transistor transistors in a in a circuit doubles every two years. Basically, computers are getting double the the speed every couple of years. And I guess my my last question is kind of where in five years, in ten years, that that pocket computer that that we all have. You know, we talk about Siri and and Cortana and and some of these things. I mean, where where do you think we'll honestly be in five or ten years? So I had the opportunity um, just a couple episodes ago in Humane to talk to Adon Katz. And Adon Katz is actually in charge of a lot of the AI product development at the World Economic Forum in San Francisco uh, for their fourth industrial revolution division. So we got to talk a lot about this technology and where it's changing. I think in the next five years, AI is going to become much more accessible. I think it's going to be accessible on all devices, whether it's the AR, VR devices or your phones. Everything we are going to be using is powered by AI. 
Um, I think in the next five years, we're going to start to see glasses, not just like Google Glass, but um, eyewear glasses for corrective vision. We're going to see corrective vision glasses that use AI to constantly adjust your prescription, that are going to use um, AI to make you aware of things going on in your environment, such as if you are a bicyclist cycling on the road, your glasses will warn you that there's a car coming to your left or there's a pothole straight ahead. Um, so I think we're going to be living in this IoT uh, world, as you coined, where everything is around AI. And um, first, I think that's just because all of our devices are having chips that let us process this um, real-time data a lot faster, and, and that's making it more effective. But secondly, I think over the next 10 years, as 5G comes more to life, and 6G uh, comes from development to life as well. And cube satellites, like from companies like SpaceX, start putting Wi-Fi all over the world. I think we're going to also see much more advanced, complex operations also done in real time. The challenge with AI today is that collecting data is extremely challenging. And processing that data still requires data scientists and AI researchers. But where we're moving is modularizing AI products and being able to integrate that everywhere, anytime. And I think with faster data processing, that will become possible. Uh, just a few weeks ago, um, Amazon had its uh, Mars conference. Uh, the Mars conference uh, typically has been reserved for private industry and industry insiders. And now it's been opened up to the public for the first time ever. They held it in Las Vegas at the Aria, and a lot of results came out. Um, the Verge said that this conference was incredible because this conference, Mars, stands for machine learning and automation uh, and, and working with you know, AR and VR and all these technologies. And the biggest takeaway is this exact theme that I've been honing in on on our entire episode today is the modularization of AI. Um, we're moving into a space where, yes, every company is going to have some researchers who code and support um, patches and updates for your systems. But we're also moving into a space where why should you create it from scratch if you can get it from a company like yourself, if we can get it from AWS, and we can take these products and just attach it on, similar to how we put a camera on our smartphone today, um, or you have a FANUC robot that uh, can move a bottle off a conveyor belt that's cracked, you're going to have these new modular units that will be AI-powered and AI-capable. Yeah, it's like a huge progression in APIs in general to be able to use parts uh, to, to grow even faster without doing your individual work. Um, you mentioned AI and VR, and I know we talked about this before we started recording, but you know, I think, you know, I think of like Oculus and it seems like they were pushing so hard for games and the video game space and stuff like that. And I, I feel like, and, and this could just be my feeling, but that when they have detached a little bit from that and tried to make it a standalone device that you can use to watch basketball games or you can use in your everyday life, um, they've had more success and I think it's paved the new road. And I, I see a lot of the same stuff with AI, like you taught, or not AI, but with augmented reality, like you talked about with glasses for certain purposes and things like that. I think that could be, you know, just huge going into the future. And, 
you know, I, I, I don't know if everybody will adopt it. I'm sure there are people who will fight back against it, but I think it could, you know, really, really grow that space to have that for bikers or for, you know, fisher, fishermen or, you know, something like that to be able to use that technology um, and AI to, uh, to power it. You know, I think um, the power of VR is when you have applications and you need to have a critical mass of software developers and a critical mass of use cases. Although video games is interesting and it makes us think of Ready Player One and the future of playing these interactive games, I think the training component for the future work is more fascinating and more optimized for revenue. So for example, if you have factory workers in Walmart warehouses who are managing inventory and defects, um, but they're able to train with VR devices, they could be training at the comfort of their home. And they could be training at different scenarios all over the world. We could be having conferences where participants are using VR devices and seeing each other in person without spending thousands of dollars on flights. So I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, for that space. Um, and we're starting to see that, you know, Walmart actually spent over $10 million on Oculus devices in 2018 to start doing that training. Um, we're starting to see where companies like Toyota are working with these VR and HoloLens devices um, to have people assemble cars without actually being physically in front of the car. Um, in fact, several other companies now are creating these VR simulations where you're assembling the car and the FANUC robots next to you. So a lot of it's safety simulations to make sure you don't collide with these robots and get injured because some of them are moving so fast. Uh, it's important though, we're building safe regulations for humans to work effectively with machines and that you know the machines are not replacing us, but they're just um, improving on routine repetitive tasks. And then the more complex nuanced tasks where us as humans can come in um, to effectively service and optimize uh, the workflow for whichever product we're building in factories. Yeah, I think I think there's really going to be some great stuff coming on on online, if you will, but you know, coming in the future. And I think you're exactly right. I think the training space and being able to do things, uh, e even knowing what you're getting into before you get into it, when it comes to training, when you talk about warehouses or or that that factory space is going to be gigantic. I think that's really cool. Well, David. It's been a pleasure to have you on here. I mean, this has truly been a great conversation about emerging technologies, which is is what the the plant's all about. Um, I can't thank you enough for joining us, and uh, and I'd like to again tell all of our listeners to check out the Humane Podcast, whether it be on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a, a great listen. Uh, the shows, you know, usually aren't aren't too long. I think they're all under an hour. And a very informative, good stuff. And David, thank you so much for coming on the show. Brian, thanks so much for having me. If you like this episode, please click the subscribe button and subscribe to The Plant for a monthly discussion on emerging automation technologies. For more information on Thin Manager, please visit thinmanager.com from any of your devices. I'm your host, Brian Harned, and we look forward to talking to you next time on The Plant.